When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Music Buzz Podcast. The Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hi, Andy. How are you doing today? I'm good. Also, Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hey, Andy. Today's guest on the Music Buzz Podcast is one of the most recorded session bass players of all time and a founding member of the Contemporary American Smooth Jazz Quartet, Foreplay. He has played on more than 2,000 albums and 10,000 songs. I don't even know how he has time to talk to us today. I mean, he should be making another <laughs> song. No kidding, man. man. Wow. Anyway, wow. But the likes of Eric Clapton, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Phil Collins, Bob Dylan, Beyonce, Whitney Houston, Quincy Jones, Daft Punk, Elton John, and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, 10,000 songs, right? So the list does go on and on. Please welcome to the Music Buzz, Nathan East. <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> man, it's... Such an honor to talk to you today. Uh, you're one of my heroes from uh, when I when I got out of college. I decided I was going to be a studio guy. You were one of the dudes in the in the '80s that everybody talked about and listened to, and 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 is still are still talking about and listening to. I wanted to start with some quotes that I found on your website. Selfless, Herbie Hancock. Impeccable taste, David Foster. His ability to adapt to the genre he's playing in never ceases to amaze me. Kenny Loggins. And I like that one the best. These are all hallmarks of a great session player. So can you take us on the journey from playing cello in junior high? You started playing bass at 14 at your church through your college music degree and into your first recording sessions, because some of our listeners may be unaware of the vast amount of musical skill sets that requires to do what you do. When you put it like that, and, and it, it just amazes me because like we said at the beginning, that we're living the dream. And any musician that picks up a record, you know, or, or picks up an instrument, you know, your dream is to play with, with people that you've admired their music from afar. And that's, that's been uh, what's been happening to me for the last four decades, you know, basically. And um, when I think about the journey, um, 
funny enough, I was just speaking with Jason Sheff, fantastic bass player yesterday and singer. And uh, he took over for me at the Hilton Cargo Bar in San Diego when I, when I left to move to L.A. And he just he had access to my very first audition tape for that gig. And, and I heard it the other day and I thought this is amazing. And we talked about uh, some of our first recording that I drove up to L.A. and recorded with Barry White at MCA Whitney Studios. And uh, like we're talking late 70s, early 80s. And um, those, I, he didn't even credit the musicians because he didn't want anybody to steal his sound. So I didn't even, <laughs> yeah. But those were some of the very first recordings I did. Gene Page was there uh, arranging and there's Barry White kind of going going down to everybody, you know, giving them each a part. And there's Ray Parker Jr. and Lee Rittenauer and all these great players, Wawa, oh, man. who were on the sessions. No pressure there. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know, and I and, and I uh, had Jason crack it up because I, I told him how I I would drive up after my gig in San Diego at the Hilton Cargo Bar. I'd drive up to, and and park in front of the studio in my little uh, camper shell with a foam pad, and then sleep there, and then wake up do the sessions, and then drive back and do the gig, and do that three or four times a week. <laughs> so when you started with Barry, you were like sixteen or something, right? Yeah, that blows my mind. I know on, on the road playing. Playing Madison Square Garden and and Kennedy Center and and all these and the Apollo Theater, all these places, you know, just as a kid, basically. I got a fifteen year old. I can't get to clean up the damn basement, let alone <laughs> <laughs> let alone sleep in a camper shell right. and uh, work exactly. all night and then work all day. Love you, Luke. Sorry. <laughs> oh man, I know. I, I feel you. No, no. You know, it's it's funny. That's I know times have changed, but it's it's almost like for me, that's what it took to. You know, okay, if, if you want to do this, you, you got to do all of this this stuff, you know, and do four sets and then get in the car and drive up to L.A. and, you know, stick your head out on, you know, while you're driving to keep from falling asleep. What is it with bass players being so driven so young? I, I read something about Tal Wilkenfeld also joining bands when she was 16 and 17. Notable people, too. Well, I, I think uh, if you're fortunate enough, you know, and... and um, you know, I can I could just when I listen to those old tape too, can I hear the development? But I can hear this young, hungry musician that that wants to get a gig. You know? Ten thousand songs. Did, did this involve you walking in and familiarizing yourself every time, or did you get charts? Did you work from charts, or it, it's it's everything everything in between. And when you think about it too, I mean, I especially in the eighties, a lot of gigs. Kenny Loggins called me and said, "Hey." Quick, we need a bass player. Or, you know, our guy is sick, and can you come out? Can you be here? You know, in a couple of days. So back then, it's like you FedEx the a cassette of last night's show, and then I listened on the plane. Similar thing happened with Al Jarreau, You know, where I had to, the sound check was my rehearsal. It's another kind oh my of God. pinch hitter. Uh, and and the thing I'll say is, being a fan of so much music like that, you know. It, it was great because a lot of the stuff was in, in my heart already. It was in, in my soul, <laughs> you know, so there wasn't a big ramp up, you know, to, to try to, you know, because I knew a, a lot of those songs, you know. It was also in your ears, never mind your heart and soul. You obviously had become familiar well before you got the gig, I guess. Yeah. But obviously you also learned how to be a quick study. 
which to be a session player, you have to be anyway, of course. Right. Were there times in the eighties, especially maybe where you had to double a keyboard line. So you had to read exactly what somebody wrote out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And Gene Page, most arranging, amazing arranger had had a lot of baseline because he was he was a James Jamerson fan, oh, you know? so he he would write in that style, and um, you know so even tunes like "Saving All My Love for You" on Whitney's album, here the nineteen year old girl comes in there, but all those notes were written out. Yeah, um, but you had to read it, and you had to read it fast. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't get it. And uh, I can remember doing some jingles uh, where you had twenty songs. To do in an hour you know? sure <laughs> so, i've done those sessions man apart from your cello years your young years where you're learning how to read where did you hone your chops as a as a studied musician as someone that could read charts did you study or did you just teach yourself how to read quickly you know playing cello so got me into the bass clef and then in high school in the stage band and in, in college i studied music and got a degree and have the reading chops together which came in handy when you work with people like gene page who you know just he puts a chart in front of you and it's just all uh, you you know you barely see any white on the page <laughs> <laughs> yeah were you at a college that had all the genres you had to play classical and you had to play jazz i mean absolutely yeah bert Turetsky from uh, uc san diego was the contrabass teacher instructor there so we had uh, a fair amount of classical studies and then I, but but while i was there i was in the gospel choir with, uh, and the jazz band led by cecil lytle and then both of those professors of mine are still dear friends and mentors to this day so going back to the 80s personally i got i got familiar with you i think mainly when and i don't remember which came first when uh, clapton's journeyman album and then also you know easy lover which you also co-wrote that song correct Right. Yeah. One song I wanted to ask you about, which I've always loved this song. And and the one thing I was thinking about listening to it last night, and I sent it to these guys, a lot of those classic songs you played on are just so timeless, man. So congrats to that, because, you know, a lot of stuff you'll hear it from the seventies or the eighties and the nineties and no offense to those, a lot of those songs. I'm not even going to mention certain ones. You can kind of tell the, you know, the era, but so many of these are just timeless. But one of them that I just love is no alibis. Can you talk about can you talk about that one and the recording of that one? That was um, written by Jerry Williams, who who had like there was like this this cult tape going around of all of his originals that he made, and everybody was trying to get their hands on it. I remember Eric got his hands on that, and you know, I think he did. You know, no alibis, pretending, or like like almost that whole uh, journeyman album might've been Jerry Williams songs, you know, right he was kind of a wild man too, wasn't he? I think I read Ted Templeman's book and he's talking about Jerry Williams and those guys disappeared for a few days or something. And <laughs> no, he was, he was a wild, but a fantastic musician um, who he had this uh, bus, this kind of tour bus that he bought, but he put a studio in there, you know, so he had his, always has a mic set up, keyboard, guitar, and he'd make these demos that just were insanely good, you know, like his singing, his writing. He, he was he was just a a creative machine, you know. Uh, we we lost him, you know. He he's gone too soon. How did Daryl Hall become involved in that song as well? I think we were cutting in New York at the power station, and Daryl Hall was in one of the other studios or something. But he, hey, you wanna? <laughs> Want to have a have a go at this, you know? It's a perfect additive, and then I didn't realize the last night because I was just you know looking around, and Shaka Khan also sings on background vocals on that song. 
Oh man, that's right. You want to talk about a, a good background group of people there. Good God. No kidding. That's some pretty good BGVs. <laughs> the connection too was Russ Teitelman, who was producing that record, uh, also was producing Shaka and he had done um, Higher Love with, you know, Steve Winwood. So it was kind of like a, a little bit of a family affair. And then, then, so you're working, you know, you're in one studio with one artist and you're, Hey, well, by the way, you want to come in and sing backgrounds uh, this afternoon, you know, on, on your break. It worked out really well in that case. Of course, I guess if it's Eric Clapton, I'm sure he can pull a few strings pretty easily, right? <laughs> I think people take the call. And look, yeah, <laughs> yeah, come on now. I mentioned Easy Lovers, so that song is is a great tune. So how did you how did you become a co-writer on that song? Was that your song to begin with, or what's the story on, on that one? Well, it was it was one of those things where we were in England at the Townhouse Studios in London, and, and we had done at least a couple of weeks of recording toward the end of the project. You know, Phil said, oh, we still need it. We still need kind of like a, you know, a, an undeniable single that the, that the company can pick, you know. And uh, we got a bunch of good kind of album, cut. well, not album, but really good songs. But he said, well, I wish we had the single. Then, I mean, I kind of just went over to the piano and, and started fooling around with the with the hook, you know, and, and the changes. And, and next thing you know, uh, they're kind of singing along and Philip started singing kind of the section that he sings. And in 20 minutes, we had something that was a, enough to say, let's cut this as a sort of as a demo and come listen to it in the morning. When we uh, got back the next morning, we said, man, what's wrong with this? You know, and it was Bill Collins that uh, was, he was originally singing Choosy Lover, and he, but he had uh -huh. these lyrics that he was singing and, and I heard his voice. I said, man, your voice sounds great on this too. Why don't you guys do it as a duet? Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> nice. just, wow. Like when things come together like that, it's, it's, it's magic. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. song still, you know, you, it comes on the radio. You, you can't turn it. It still sounds just so good, man. I love it. When, I mean, that, that was one of the very special one to come along and, and you know, it, the way it came together was just so easy. And like I said, that was like, that was the demo first take of, in the track down. Wow, you didn't even recut it the next day. We didn't even recut it. Uh, excellent. When you write, do you like to lean on piano more than guitar? I see your guitars in the background. Basically, it's kind of every every scenario because car. When I'm in the car, you know, ideas come to me, and I'll I'll either sing. Back in the day, I used to call my phone and sing them into my uh, <laughs> your answering machine. Answering machine, yeah, <laughs> answering machine. But, uh, you know, now, you know, so they come in. You've got 60 messages. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're dating ourselves here. But yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, either guitar or piano end up there or bass end up being good, good kind, kind of venues to try to get, get the song out. So when you're writing on piano and writing on guitar, I, I know some people are naturally inclined to play a piano type song, a la Elton John or Leon. And some people come right on piano and, and ignore the fact that it's a piano and just think about the song and realize that the piano may not even be in the final track. Do you find yourself finding the piano part and wanting to keep it, or do you just use it as the the vehicle to get to the song? Well, with 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 my limited piano skills, I usually end up using it as just a vehicle to I see. Try to block it out, you know. But but if if it's simple enough, you know, plunk my way through the changes and and uh and then, you know, it, it can be a keeper or uh, or a, a demo for the, the real person. And Neil Young is one of my favorite piano players. So in the sense that he's very, very minimal, but it always serves the yeah. song. Well, I, you know, and I, and when I hear like Jocko play piano, it's 
like it's amazing. You know, you can see a couple of YouTube videos of him him just playing piano. Geniuses. So you've got this laundry list of people you play with. We named some of them. Who who have you not played with that you're like, gosh, man, I'd love to play with? Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, Prince was on that list. You know, I mean, it was like the, the bucket list, and so didn't didn't get to make that one, and as well as Miles. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm the I'm a big Pat Metheny fan, and we've we've jammed together at his house, you know, but we've never done anything official. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you call him when you get off this? Uh, Zoom <laughs> yeah, come on, us. Pat. <laughs> Pat, let's go. Let's yeah, cut let's some tracks, man. Of all the people you admire, and I, you know, I, I read the list of the people that Ron Carter, Mingus, Ray Brown, Gail Ann Dorsey. Um, you did miss Carol Kay. Um, <laughs> the, okay, yeah, and she's another she's another ten thousand ten thousand hour ten thousand songer, you know. Yeah. Sure. So, who is your real? I mean, who is the epitome of your what you call bass magic? You know what? There there are few, and and uh, I think everyone would admit that James Jamerson is at the top of, of course list. You know, McCartney's and people. You know, but then you know, for me, you know, McCartney is one of the when really, you know, the way he plays so lyrically and the way he plays a song, you know, a lot of times I'm, when I'm recording, I'm thinking, oh, what, what would McCartney do? You know, here? Yeah, man. Good go to for sure. I yeah. think that when I'm eating breakfast, let alone, you know, I don't even play instruments. What, so. what, McCart- <laughs> what would McCartney, Paul McCartney do? <laughs> <laughs> would he and, toast and, his uh, bread? Would he not? Depends on the song. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Pino Palladino fan, you know, and, um, but then again, you know, I, uh, Depending on the genre, you know, you think sometimes like, oh, Jocko would, because when I'm playing with foreplay, sometimes, you know, more uh, expressive, progressive. And so people like Jocko would be. Do you like Fretless? I do. I really love it. No, I, I do. It was uh, on the song Tears in Heaven, uh, I, I played Fretless and, and well, the bass played me basically on that song. Yeah. When I was listening to Topic, I mean, Finally Home, Letter from um letter from home mood swing you also do melancholy beautifully it looks like you like to live in that space as well i mean apart from all of the the jazz chops and all the you know formidable technique that you have it seems to me you enjoy a nice mellow song is that is that a good read or you just you just like absolutely uh 100 spot on you know and uh for, for me you know i could do that all day forever <laughs> You should write ballads. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, and I and I have written a lot that that uh, I mean, one of the first songs that I wrote called "With All My Love" was it got me into ASCAP, and it was the title cut of a trumpet player, Bruce Cameron. And so, like the first song I wrote, I remember it getting a lot of airplay, and and uh, it just uh, you know that that part of the heart, you know, and you know when I even when I went to make my solo albums, I I didn't. There's there's a lot of guys on Instagram that you can you can just see like really with the ch- kind of chops that that I don't really have you know but but when it comes to like really building a song foundationally from the bottom and and putting some heart and soul and love in there yeah you know, man in coach one song that I noticed that I hadn't heard going through your uh, discography was your tribute to uh, Leroy Vinegar Leroy. Uh, uh, Dude, the your bass sound. I mean, your bass sound is always great, but it's so thick and rich. Oh, I mean, 
I know part of it is it's the aggression that you use to play and, and your time is so good and everything, but oh, that's a really nice, that's a really nice tune, man. And Victor Feldman is one oh, of the yeah. finest, finest musicians I ever had the, the, the honor of playing with, you know. Uh, and and funny because when I go back and hear some of those things, I I was always trying to work on trying to get a better tone. So I, I when I hear the small bands, <laughs> you mentioned McCartney. Do you ever play a Hofner bass on any tracks? Or? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, not much. But uh, I I've had one where we just needed a really hollow sound that that sound, and uh, so. Uh, and Ringo has one up at the house too on the wall. I was going to ask if, when you played with Ringo, if you ever played a Hofner. No, I usually, I usually do the, the one behind me. There's, it's kind of like my go-to. Did you ever see Ray Brown or people like that um, in in your lifetime? Yeah, and and uh, again, that's it's kind of life changing to see somebody just lay it down like that. You know, Ray Brown just, I just saw a little video or a piece on him saying, he said, I've worked with with hundreds of singers and every one of them just wants me to hear boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> just walk and play time. <laughs> so they're not trying to hear me go crazy. <laughs> yeah. So Hugh had mentioned mel melancholy, a, a calling card. And I would also, you know, vouch to say love songs in general. I mean, I just can't stop loving you and saving all my love for you. I mean, tell me, tell us about, you know, working with Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston on arguably two of the biggest love songs in, in music history. Yeah, I mean, again, um, we were at um, we were at Devonshire Recording Studios, and nineteen-year-old singer Gene Page is is at the at the uh, conductor's podium, and a nineteen-year-old singer walks in, beautiful, and, and it's uh, she walks into the booth and opens her mouth, and like we didn't know who this was, and we're just going, yeah. oh, "Who is this?" Wow. Yeah, beautiful sings like and young Whitney Houston, you know. And nice. we recorded um, the greatest love of all that day, um, mm -hmm. saving all my love for you. And, and it's like. Then the same day? Wow. I think the same day. Wow. That's a day. Jeez. That's a pretty good day. <laughs> Probably <laughs> live vocals for the most part, maybe. Live vocals, you know? yes. Absolutely. Wow. And, and, and Unbelievable. Again, you could just hear everybody reacting to each other and, and sure. the, the, the magic of of everybody being in the room at the same time making music you know for the singer she gets to hear all these great guys playing you know and and uh it, it was a it was a very special day I, I remember thinking to myself too i said i i hope uh, i think she was signed with ariston i said oh, yeah i hope Clive davis and ariston know know what to do with her i hope this goes okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah right I think they did. nobody I think knew okay yeah i think so. i was gonna say they figured it out yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. they told me but you know i Sometimes you can have somebody that great and then they nobody sure. light a day, you know. Something doesn't work, yeah. Now how about the process with Michael Jackson? What was that like? Oh man. How did that and, go? And he was uh you know, I pulled over pulled up to Westlake in this uh this black Mercedes with tinted windows, you couldn't see who was driving, he pulls up right next to me and I get up and the door opens and looking like he just stepped out of a video with the red leather jacket and the oh, yeah. <laughs> Stays on. There's Michael, you know, because no always, always on. Yeah. <laughs> but the nicest, sweetest guy, I mean, you know, they had a chef in the studio and at dinner, you know, we just, you know, laugh and tell jokes. And the only only difference is you just knew when you when you sat down to play that song and record it, 
a billion people were going to be here. <laughs> that was on the bad record, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about the time to be. Uh, I mean, coming off a thriller and everything. Wow. Were you nervous? Like, was that kind of like? I mean, I, I know. Do you get nervous? I guess that would be one question. But the, the thing you're thinking about the most is like you're looking around the room with with the best best players that you can, you know, in in town, and so you're just trying to. The, the nerves, it's not so much nervous as, as you're just saying, I want what I do to be up to the highest standard of, of this room. You know? Right. Yeah. Sure. And then then there's your own standards, which you know, obviously they're no, they're no slouch either. You know, you, you do yourself a disservice by saying the standards are in the room when, in fact, your own standards have proven themselves. Got you there. Yeah. In the first place. Tell you, yeah, to get there, and then and, and, and those standards didn't change from when I was auditioning for the for the Hilton Cargo Bar. You know, like, I, would yeah. You, would you would you consider yourself? This almost sounds like a ludicrous question, but do you have a life beyond music? Because ten thousand songs is a lot of. Do you consider yourself a workaholic, or do you actually take some time? Well, no, I, I actually take some time. I mean, I I love uh, I I'm a lover of life, you know, and, and doing other things. I'm in a private pilot. A yeah. magician too, right? Magician, you know. Tell us about really? that. Really? Yeah, tell us about yeah. that. That's awesome. Pick a card, any card. <laughs> <laughs> Did you study with someone? Boy, you're good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I met some uh, magicians that took me under their wing. And uh, so we used to actually jam like musicians. You know, you'd, we'd go over somebody's house and put their magic pads out and, and all the coins and cards and we'd come out and we would jam. You know, But I have a, I have a sensei in Japan. Um, Oh, wow. that he's 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 just incredible like ma magician and wow. he has tv shows over there and uh he has you know his stuff is in the store so when i go he comes to the room and we and we jam and and i joined the magic circle in london magic castle in la Do, have you ever tried to make like eric clapton disappear <laughs> on stage or something? <laughs> hey sit now you see him now you know or let's put him in the box and yeah, that would be great. <laughs> we had a good time just uh you know do, and and magic is like music and around the world people love it you know if you figured that one out nathan there'd be a lot of bands would be like hey can you make our lead singer disappear please? <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, uh, just saying you might get just as much work doing that as what yeah, you got exactly. otherwise you ruined the concert <laughs> business but hey you know, but, fun doing tried it. to hire me to come to a party once and i said yeah you know i'm a, i don't do this for a living i just do it for fun you know? <laughs> but you would consider yourself a pretty good magician is that correct but yeah i mean i i used to work on it because you know when you're when you're on tour like back in the day you think, you know, the gig is two hours. So there's another 22 hours in the day, you know? So, and when I joined the magic circle in London, you know, these, these guys say, you got to sit in front of the mirror and do it over and over and over until it, you know, it looks seamless. So, um, a lot of times, you know, I'd be in the room and just practicing in front of the mirror, making sure it was wow. <laughs> before I tried so to you, on anybody. You mentioned sensei, are you a martial arts, um, aficionado? Took Kung Fu when I was a kid, but now just the, he's, He's my uh, sensei or teacher in, in terms of the ma the magic world. Moving along in some of the songs, I mean, obviously, I talked about covering many generations of of, of, of you know types of music, but tell us about uh, the Daft Punk project. And obviously, you're you're the guy on Get Lucky. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big number there too. When you're in the studio and people are dancing, it's it's a it's a good sign <laughs> that you have something. But to be honest, we we recorded um, for about a week in L.A. And uh, it was great because they recorded with uh, 
tape onto computer with Pro Tools, you know, two inch machines. And so there were a lot of vintage synths in the room. And uh, we did a bunch of these tracks. Now, Get Lucky, before it even was named or anything, uh, they, they went off to New York and then hooked up with Nile Rodgers and Pharrell and wrote the lyrics. And, and when it got back, they were playing it for me. And it was sort of a different feeling track than, you know, with Niles Funk on there. And I said, let me have one more go at it, you know. And I wanted to approach it like Bernard Edwards of Chic, you know, with that real tight, punchy mm-hmm. thing. So we just we just let it run. And uh, and I just played and that ended up being the bass part. So you decided once they once they fiddled with it a little bit, you wanted to redo your part. And that's what we hear now. Yeah, that's what we hear now. And, awesome. and it's just I wanted to, you know, tailor make it a little more to what Niles' contribution was, which was that really chicish, you know, uh, I mean, it was just really great. And, and so it was a different, it felt like a different song when, when I heard it again, you know, after they put all that on it. Being half of the bottom end of, of any ensemble, any group, who are some drummers that you've worked with that were just, you know, you would really enjoy the process? Oh, yeah. Well, well, first of all, uh, Jeff Picard. And, and I, the, I love the Trouble in Paradise record. You uh, played thanks, on- yeah. Thanks for that. Was a fun one, and I love LA. Uh, you guys got to sing that too, right? Sing it too. Backgrounds, yeah. You could hear Jeff's voice on that, you know. Yeah, but uh, that that was a that was just a special project, and, and all the guys, you know, David Page and Lukather, and so it was mm. sort of like Toto, Toto with you, <laughs> exactly. Which came to be later too, right? Yeah, it came to be later too. You so we we've been one big happy family for for like four decades now. That was a, a beautiful album. And, and again, the way records were made in those days were just, you know, put five guys in a room for a week at least, you know, just turn the tape on and capture as much as you can. On a record like that, when you were working with Jeff on drums, how many takes were you guys doing on the, on that Randy Newman record, would you say? Not, not many. You do, you do one just or a few. two just to, you know, before it gets too, before it gets too polished. Before you start thinking about it. Where you start that's what, that exactly. that's what we always call it yeah yeah before the diminishing returns and uh, yes but jeff jeffrey was a just a fantastic human being first of all but then his drumming was was like it's just i used to watch watch toto and i would just look at jeff and just go wow you know and then see guys what a feel you know uh phil collins <laughs> one of my favorite drummers here to play with a completely different feel from all the guy, you know, but I again blessed to play with an amazing uh, John Robinson and and uh, you know Vinny Vinny Caliuda, yeah, Steve yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and Ricky Lawson who recorded, you know, when oh I, sure, Ricky was, was my album. Just wonderful musicians. Was Ricky yeah. on the on the uh, 2014 record that you did? So like on Sir Duke, which was which. Hey, come on now. You guys, if you guys haven't heard that, you need to listen to that. You know, him being from Detroit and Motown, I mean, he, you know, we he just nails it. Yeah, we just played it. Didn't have to explain a thing. Four Play has been, you know, you were a founding member of that group. So catch us up on just kind of, you know, just a brief little snapshot of just, you know, over the years you played with so many people, we've, we've recognized that. But Four Play has been the common theme, uh, common thread throughout your And career. Harvey, man, what a player. Yeah, too. wow. He's one of my favorites. That's where you go back to, kind of. You know, obviously that's that's your group, but uh, you know, I mean, is that kind of the center, I guess? Again, blessed to be in a group, you know, for more than 30 years now that that uh when we were doing uh, an album called Grand Piano Canyon by Bob James. If you haven't heard it, check it out. 
Uh, there's a song called Restoration on that album. For me, that that was the birth of foreplay. You know, that that song is the quartet, Rittenauer, Harvey Mason. Who was who it by? Who'd you say? And, and Bob James. Bob, Bob James. James. Yeah, it's a Warner Brothers release. Restoration. Restoration is the song. I'm, I'm a lucky guy because when Bob asked, he worked with Harvey Mason a lot before and Lee Rittenauer, when he asked both of them separately, who should I get on bass? They both they both threw my name into the hat. So <laughs> I appreciate it. And, and we, again, it was very organic. Uh, put four guys on the floor and just playing all the music we loved. Of course, I was a big fan of, of all those guys. I, I played in a, a band that we did seven songs from Harvey Mason's Funk in a Mason Jar album. It's <laughs> mm, <laughs> a great old record. Yeah. yeah. It's a great old record. You know. Yeah, man. Another one, if you haven't heard, check it out. How involved are you in the look of your albums, your album covers? Uh, I, I foreplay the, the Esprit uh, four, uh, to four. And, and the Yes, Please was a pretty nice looking cover as well. Oh, yeah. um, how involved are you, um, since that's sort of my interest, uh, in not only how involved are you in your covers, but how much has album art mattered to you as you were a consumer and as you were coming up for, as the young cellist that you were? Yeah, no, album art was it was everything. I remember the CTI days, they, they'd always have these covers that looked like they were almost 3D and they, you could tell they were just expensive to make. <laughs> you know, like this was, and, but, but album covers, you know, you, you remember, you know, pretty much where you were all the, I used to look at, you know, study Earth, Wind and Fire album covers and some were amazing, War and ELO and like the artwork. So yeah. obviously, you know, when we go to make a record, I mean, it's very, very important. And I end up going through, you know, books of album covers and then obviously the art department or, or whoever's doing it, or if you're doing it yourself, just Here's a, here's a few different versions. What? Well, even the photography on, on Reverence, just the the photo itself is a beautiful shot. Now, I have to ask, what is the uh, the Japanese symbol between your first and last name? What is that? that uh, that's the symbol for East. <laughs> oh, okay, because <laughs> that's your last name. Right, exactly. So we, we thought we put in. <laughs> I'm, and, uh, I'm here to point out the obvious. Sorry. Yeah, so, <laughs> so a lot of times, you know, even I'll see the symbol on you know on subways and a lot, you know. When, that's me. That's me. That's mine. <laughs> That's awesome. We always like to ask too, like, you know, from a fan, I mean, obviously we're all fans of music. What was your first concert that you went to as a fan that you, that you were just pumped to go see? You know what? When I saw Earth, Wind and Fire, the, ah. the fan and then mm. Bertine White pulled his, he pulled his shirt off and he was playing and I just thought, whoa, what is going on? You know, and, and uh, the reason I play a white bass is because he had a white bass. And so okay. <laughs> so, that right. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Where was that and when was that? That was at the sports arena in San Diego in like 1971. Oh, like wow. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've told this story on the podcast before, but I've got to tell it because you just brought them up. I was actually, according to CBS and in Indianapolis for a little bit, I was actually in Earth, Wind & Fire. And I'll tell you the story real quick. We were doing an interview at the <laughs> venue about upcoming shows. I was a PR guy at the time. And Earth, Wind & Fire was playing with Chicago that night. So they interviewed Earth, Wind, and Fire, and those guys stood off the side, Verdine and Philip and, and one of the other guys. And then they talked to me about like the stuff that was coming up in the next week or two at the venue, right? right. And so I'm I'm, I'm hearing them off to the side as they're interviewing me on TV, giggling, kind of laughing, snickering to themselves. And I, and I get done, and then they start just bursting out laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? 
And they go, it said Andy Wilson and underneath it said of earth, wind and fire. And they were all cracking up and, and Verdine was like, we just sold a bunch of tickets. There's the, everybody's going to be like, who's the skinny white bearded guy in earth, wind and fire. Earth, so. wind and fire, Beastry and Andy Wilson. Featuring, featuring Andy Wilson. <laughs> yeah. That anyway. is classic. At, at one point when Maurice White was really like in his experimental mode, which, which uh, thank God that that's what just turned this group into a, but such a monumental group, you know, one of the greatest of all time, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Opinion. And no he, question. no question. So he called, he actually called me to play on an Earth, Wind and Fire album called it's Touch the World is the name of the album. And the first thing I thought is, wait, no, Radin is my, he's my <laughs> ultimate hero. And when I, all I would be doing is my best Verdine impersonation. But Maurice was, he was sort of in that experimental phase where he was just trying out different guys and, and, uh, so I have the honor of saying that I played on an Earth, Wind & Fire album. Amazing. How many tracks did you play on that record? Um, well, the title track and, and the several tracks. Okay, cool. You did a record cover for Earth, Wind & Fire. I forget which one. It was. Yes, I did. Yeah. You don't well, remember either, do you? <laughs> He's done he too many. He can't remember. Yeah, he can't even remember. No, like, I just, I just He's done as up. many album covers as you've done recording sessions. <laughs> He's getting on Wikipedia right now. Like, what album cover did he I Which one was that? I am. I am literally kind of jogging my, my aging memory here. Um, great, great album cover. That's all right, greatest, man. It was the greatest hits cover with the stone, um, with the EWF. Um, oh, 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 yeah. yeah. You okay. did that one? Yeah. Oh. Congratulations. Thank you. And we used to, you know, we used to get records and, you know, sit there and just look at the cover. Part we love to hear that. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, in that world, as you must know, having come from the big canvas of an LP, which gratefully a lot of my friends and musicians and clients still release, I still think 12 inches, even though I know it's going to end up as a two-inch square in the bottom left corner of of Spotify or iTunes, you know, but there's no, there's no harm in thinking big. That's I was going to ask you about a couple of records that people may never have asked you about. Um, Cause these are artists that I've worked with before. Uh, Russ Taff metals record, oh, which yeah. is a huge Christian record in, yeah. in its day. Yeah. And uh, Sandy Patty's record, another time, another place. I know that you played on those. Do you have any recollections about that? Or, you know, we, we went to the same junior high school together and we grew up, and what happened was my very, very, very first session that I did was for the Sandy Patty family. It was for the Patty family singers. So, oh, I think really? I, she told me that story. That's right. Yeah, and, wow. With her mom and dad, right, and her two brothers. Mom and dad and two brothers, and yeah, her mom. You know, we'd go over there, and her her mom would show me the tunes and and, and help me out with the tunes, and before. We went into record, and that was my very, very first session. Dane lives in Anderson, Indiana. I mean, that's yeah. the home of, uh, oh, fantastic. you know, yeah. the yeah. Gaithers and all that. Yep. So, yeah. That's yeah. my first touring band was the Gaithers, and Sandy was on that tour in 1984. Amazing. I just yeah. heard from Sandy, you know, just a couple of days ago, and I keep in touch with the folks, and they are the best, best, best people, you know. They're sweet oh, yeah. people. They sure are. Really nice. I get a hold of her every couple of years and have her come back to Indy uh, to sing the national anthem at the Colts game. She loves the Colts and oh, she's an awesome singer. And so she'll come up and be like, absolutely. I'll be there. <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, she's awesome. such a ta such a talented singer. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talented and, and, uh, and just a sweet lovely, lovely person. We, we, we go way back. Wow. Way back. 
And if you can ever find that record, there's a good record too. The, the, uh, yeah. So it's it called the Patty. What is it called? The Patty Family. Patty Family Singers. Yeah. I think a buddy of mine actually had that because from her got got a copy from her mom and dad. One of the records. Somewhere. Really? Yeah. I'm I'm gonna have to call yeah. mom and dad see if I can get a copy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's taking me back right to the beginning. So what? How old were you when you did that? I know it's your first session, but well, how old were you? 14 or something. <laughs> I was going to jokingly say for seven, but that's not that far <laughs> off. 14 is pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty close. I, I, I'm always curious to know when I'm talking to someone who's already at the top of their game, who, have, and, and it's something that Dane often asks our guests, who have you been on stage with? Who have you shared stage with, even though it wasn't a planned or it wasn't even a scheduled gig that you felt really in awe of the, the person next to you? Who have you actually? Whenever, whenever Stevie Wonder's next to you, then wow, meter, yeah, our meter is going up, is being pinned. You know? So, what do you have? What do you have coming up? You know, in, in the in the future here, what's what's the rest of the year looking like for you? I'm uh, working on a duo album with my son Noah, and uh, who plays wonderful Hammond B three and piano, and he uh, he's doing his first tour right now. They recruited him for the Cream of Clapton tribute band, and they're in they're in Europe right now touring. Nice. nice. What does he play? And he plays Hammond organ and and uh, keyboard. And what is he four years? Was he four years old or five? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I discovered he had perfect pitch when he was five years old. You know, it was, it was, man, that's awesome. He does too, right? Wow. Yeah, and like you, you can literally just go to the piano and and. and just hit five notes and he'll tell you A fat, B fat, C, D. I mean, he'll give you all the notes and the kid and phenomenal ears. You know, people with perfect pitch. Does it bug you when you hear like something off Sergeant Pepper where they very speeded the tape and it's like in between A and B flat or whatever? And I mean, is that irritating or oh, is it okay? But again, when we were kids, he used to know because Quincy Jones used to speed up the records just to give him a little more excitement. And he would say, Daddy, that's. That's not in the key of the, you know, <laughs> that's not in the key. So you can hear like in between, uh, and and it's wow. you know, it's just it's just an exciting thing. No, I, I I enjoy listening to all music, and I you know I just love it when it's in tune. <laughs> sure. Well, there you go. Yeah. Does Noah write? Is he aspiring Noah as well? Yes. So uh, you've already that's awesome. Carbons and songs. Congrats. That's but, awesome. Does he have a band apart from the tribute band? Does he have a band that he's uh, aspiring to put together as a recording act or at, as a at the moment no but we we're we're thinking about we're just formulating ideas now about what what that's going to look like in terms of uh recording and touring what what genre would he be in in his most comfortable moments what, what's his style? What's... i think with people like bob james as a godfather and, and uh, greg Fillingage, i think he's very comfortable in the jazz genre. okay yeah yeah progressive but however he's out there He's out there killing it with the, with the uh, playing cream, cream songs and all the tunes that I've been playing for years and and uh, he's grown up with you know and they they had you know you know I think Ginger Baker's son has been in the band oh Kofi yeah. Kofi yeah Kofi yeah and, and, and uh, Eric's nephew Will Johns mm -hmm. has been yeah I think he's he's heading the band now so so it's great because Noah he, he jumps on those tunes and he's got the Billy Preston parts and the <laughs> oh yeah now you're talking Very great cool. really proud of him so uh yeah they're gonna be in San Diego and I'm gonna sit in with them uh end of April like April 30th at the Balboa Theater that'll be an awesome night yeah absolutely
Well, mm-hmm. when they play or when you play Indiana, let Andy know. I'd yeah, love to absolutely. Of yes. course. They're on the, the Cream of Clapton band, uh, you know, Instagram page and Facebook page. And you can see them grab the schedule too. All right, check that out. Very cool. And we send everybody uh, to NathanEast.com for info on you. Yeah. Yeah, you can go there or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or any of the. <laughs> Everywhere. Okay. You got it. Got okay. it. That's the website that takes about a day to scroll down. Yeah, seal. exactly. <laughs> no kidding. Stretch your fingers, pop your knuckles. Yep. <laughs> you know, if you, 2020. <laughs> 2019. All the pages are behind you. So. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Nathan, on Thank your career. And uh, obviously, it's still rolling. So, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time. Thanks. It's a pleasure to see you down the road. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.